1: Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. If you're listening on the Voices of Wrestling feed, please consider joining The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy feed and hitting that subscribe button and giving us a five-star review. Dave Meltzer would do it because we are a very fun podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis, and with me today, as always, my co-host, Fred Moreland. Fred, we are reeling off of a wonderful Revolution pay-per-view, and we had a very succinct dynamite that set up a lot of fun storylines
2: yeah it was a nice little uh setup and it'll be interesting to th- see where things go from here uh i thought it was fairly uh uh benign in terms of entering like i thought there were a number of like pretty good matches that i would recommend to someone if they're looking for stuff to watch but nothing that i thought was great by any stretch uh but all in all i thought it was a pretty fun show yeah
1: i i thought it was fun in a different way because it was not necessarily meant to be a great entering show, and it's not that you can't have great entering matches with a show like this. It was more, hey, we are going to set the table uh, for and build the foundation for the next batch of storylines that are going to culminate at, re- at Double or Nothing at the end of May, and I thought that was really important. Um, let's let's just kind of jump right into the news, Fred, because there is a lot here. Um, yeah. The biggest piece of news, our top story: AEW is working on re-signing the Elite. Uh, Sean Rossap reports that. Um, The WWE shocker is also interested in signing the elite. Um, I I don't read too much into this. It's their contracts. I believe like when they initially signed them, they were what four or five year deals and they're kind of coming up. And then obviously you have Kenny Omega's deal getting told, uh, told, because of the injury time, which is a very, very standard practice in this business. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, something WWE used to do all the time. In fact, they they did it to Daniel Bryan, and they've done it to multiple other superstars. Um, and I just said superstars. Somebody kill me. Uh. Uh, professional wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Sports the, entertainers in the, the JAS's case. but Yeah, well, they're... They're different. That's a gimmick. Um, I need to be ungimmicked from all my time watching that crappy promotion. Um, but it it's relatively normal, and mm-hmm. I, I don't read anything into I, this. Of course, WWE is going to want to sign
2: these. Yeah, games. I would. One would expect them to purchase them. I did make a mistake uh, putting together the run list. It's actually uh, the the observer that reported that, not not uh, Sean Ross Sapp. So I apologize for that. Um, but yeah, I think that. Uh, this is not really particularly newsworthy. If you think about it for two seconds, you would obviously expect uh, WWE to want to sign them. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I think, uh, I don't I don't think anyone would want, uh, any AEW fans would want them to leave AEW. But, you know, I mean, I think AEW is in a position where if they left, they would not, like, immediately die by any stretch, so... Uh, it would be a big blow i'm not gonna like downplay it completely or anything but it's what it is so
1: yeah it's it's gonna be a non-issue until we hear that there's actual steam or hey wwe has a contract offer on the table and the and the elite are like seriously considering it or they're signing like it, it of course both companies are going to want to sign these guys oh, if yeah. they didn't they would be disingenuous and whoever was running those companies should be not be running them Yeah, be, these are uh,
2: brilliant professional wrestlers. Yeah. It would be management malpractice. So uh, to not want to get those guys into your, uh,
1: yeah. Management so- malpractice. That is a fantastic way to report it. And let's kind of transition out. Um, revolution. Let's talk about the business. Um, they did 9,000 9, paid or 9,000 fans, 8,000 paid. Um, so, we're talking more than 8,000 paid. It's just a prox- an approximation. I don't think they did 1,000 paper. Uh, I I really don't. They Obviously, every show, you're going to have comps. You're going to have family members, uh, friends. You're going to have media that don't have to pay to go to these shows. Um, but we're also talking about an $800,000 gate, which is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. They got great. about $125,000 for movie theaters, which, look, I almost went to a movie theater and paid like the 30 bucks to go. Um, but I have a way to get them for free. So I am not going to say no. Um, but the movie theater experience, I know, um, friend of the show and the network's very own suit. Williams has gone to the movie theater. He says, it's really cool to be able to watch it with other wrestling fans. And you get to see on the big screen with the surround Mm -hmm. sound. That sounds pretty awesome. Um, the return of kind of the closed circuit deal Um, Meltzer expects it to get around 120 to 129,000 pay-per-view buys, which is a surprising number because Tony Khan at the presser projected that it was going to get 130 to 140. And he, he felt that's where it was trending. Now, obviously things can change. And you're not just talking, this is straight pay-per-view buys. This is not necessarily including um, overseas and some digital too. So, we're not going to know for sure what this number is for probably a couple of months, but I was a little surprised that Meltzer came in under Tony Khan.
2: Yeah. And I guess we'll see, you know, it always takes weeks for this to play out, but I think that's a pretty solid number. It's roughly about what their last pay-per-view did. Um, It's not, you know, it's not at their high point, obviously, but as far as like a lower, you know, like a, not the highest level success they've had. uh, It's solid. It's fine. So, yeah,
1: it's one of those things. Um, I thought this was a successful pay-per-view, especially with the bill being really weird. Um, of the 407 people that reviewed Revolution in I just the Observer thought this was poll, funny. Um, six of them gave it a thumbs down, two in the middle, 399 up. Look, if you gave this show a thumbs down, um, I I just want to be very clear. Fuck you. How in the <laughs> world can you think this show was bad? Now, yeah. if you if you had expectations that were so sky high, it'd be taller than the Empire State Building, you don't think they met it? Uh, you're just absurd. This was an incredible show. You know what? All six were probably Raj Geary and and his alternates, like his burners. <laughs> that that's the only real explanation here because this show was tremendous. And I, I there, you you can argue. Oh, is it one of the best shows of all time? Because we talked about it on our review, that this is arguably among the five best pay-per-views in American history. And AEW has three of them. We're not trying to be hyperbolic about this company. This company is that good at pay-per-views.
2: Yeah, they really uh, do a great job with uh, basically uh, match quality and show quality laying out their pay-per-views. There's definitely room for criticism of... uh, other aspects of the company, I think, but you—I don't know how you could watch that show and give it a thumbs down at the end of the night. But here we are, and six people disagree with me. I just thought that was kind of, kind of funny. But hey, um, yeah. So uh, I—that overall, a very good response to it, though. Yeah. Uh, speaking of stories, I just thought was kind of interesting. Let's talk about uh, away from AEW slightly. WWE is trying to open up gambling on their shows. Uh, in part, telling people, and this is this made me laugh hard when I saw it the first time, that um, they will lock down the results of matches months ahead of time, but would not tell the wrestlers or anyone involved those results until just before the match takes place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hold on. What? Yeah, that's what they told them. That was from a CNBC report. Um listen, man. Anyone oh God. who has paid attention to uh Vince McMahon and Creative and uh, Mr. Mustache himself is backstage this week. Um
1: Buddy. Oh, poor Odie. He just fell off the couch. Are you okay, bud? Oh, Odie. Oh. I, he looks okay. Come here, Odie. Is he okay? I think so. Um he he Fell off the couch. He was adjusting. Yeah. Okay. We should be good. I apologize. Odie, um, my wonderful eight month old French bulldog, was adjusting on the couch and just uh, slid right off. But, um, the, what? A, the, let's let's transition back to this WWE thing. What a yeah. bunch of horseshit! And hey, you know what? <laughs> we talk about professional wrestling and being a business of liars. This is brilliant. This is a complete lie. There is, they, they've done switches literally minutes before sh- the show starts. It feels like WCW Nitro at the end. We're like, oh, we don't mm-hmm. even have a script right now. Uh, what? And there's that um little piece in the Monday Night War documentary, which we all know is half fabricated, anyways. But but where Tony Schiavone's like, uh, I don't know what's next. Uh, we'll find out after the break. Like yeah. because he is completely unaware of what's going on because. They have no idea what's going on. And even the last couple of years of Vince McMahon being in charge of creative, he would rip up scripts literally hours before its show starts and rewrite the entire thing. So the fact that one, like they actually had the gall to say this, like kudos to them. What's going to happen? Are they under oath when they're talking to Congress in this sense? If they are, whoa. Um, two, if anybody believes this, they're so naive and it's just, this whole thing is great. Um, Odie seems to be just fine though. He is, he's sitting at my feet and taking pets.
2: Glad to hear it. Um, yeah. So, uh, this is, yeah, I, you know, with AEW doing the, um, the DraftKings stuff, which I haven't really looked into much at all. And I think WWE started doing something similar where I think it's less of a, I, I don't know. I don't know how it works because Kentucky does not have legalized gambling outside of horses. Um, uh but you know it's just kind of absurd to me i i know the story is about when uh i think it was mainly in the uk that there was betting on wwe events that uh insiders would swing the odds dramatically late because they knew who was supposed to win a match and uh that it would have a dramatic effect on things and um yeah it just seems very i can't believe anyone's really considering it but this is where we are, I guess, with sports game. Yeah, it's um,
1: it's wild, but I mean, good on them for trying. Let's let's move back to um the Tony Converse and uh, ratings for Dynamite, um, eight hundred fifty thousand, a and 1849 demo, number four on the night, um, numbers two and five. Were all real housewives adjacent. And I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure how this all works because um, I don't know if you know too much about me, Fred, but I don't watch the real housewives. Mm. We are a top, we are a next level chef family here okay. in Minnesota. Um, that shows great. You got to watch it. It's, it's really stupid, but it's a fun way to tier a cooking show. Um, and when you kind of take a look at everything, like, 858.29, considering how few people are watching television, how many people are watching this thing on Bravo. Like, because we know Real Housewives has been a competitor of yours for some time. Like, it's. And kind of hearing like a little scuttlebutt, like, oh, this was kind of a big deal. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. Um, and I, I wish it was a little higher, especially with the acclaim that the pay per view had. But I think this is something where you can really look at the potential of the DVR being even
2: more important. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, I don't think it's a particularly bad number. I think it's fine. Not a panic number uh, at this point in time. Again, I always try to assess it over a period of time rather than just one week numbers. Um, and uh, yeah, it's what it is. It's fine-ish. So Yeah. Um,
1: this is interesting. Honor Club, they have the most ever subscribers for the service at 12,000. Mm-hmm. Um, now, honest, obviously, if they were on any form of network television deal, they would probably be getting at least 400,000 viewers a week, likely more than that. Um, because it's to, uh, Tony Khan programming and they're utilizing a lot of wrestlers from AEW. But 12,000, uh, that's not great when you're trying to sell a pay-per-view in a, in a few weeks.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I think that we're going to see those pay-per-view numbers take a pretty significant hit now that it's not on AWTV, uh, getting promotion that way, at least regularly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I'm shrugging because it's an—it's a video, a visual uh, medium, uh but yeah i mean also the fact that like it's their highest number ever like yeah I, i'd hope so man because like you just went off all that your biggest promotion of the company ever for like a whole year um well, one would certainly expect it to be at its high point 12 000 as the high point isn't grand but i you know i'm not shocked by it um i obviously i think they would have hoped for it to be higher but it's not, so we'll just see what Ring of Honor continues to be. Um, it's going to take time to build it up, and obviously they really need to get it on a bigger platform than just Honor Club. Uh, I'm still kind of shocked that they decided to go that route instead of just outright doing YouTube. It feels like that would be a good um, opportunity to sacrifice money for exposure um, and to hopefully get something going you know, with actual money involved. but
1: And even so, like the monetary value of that is not necessarily great, but what you can do is be like, hey, I can come and show you stats within the first however long we had like 1 million views in the first 24 hours. And of those 1 million views, there were like, let's say 500,000 that ended up watching the entire show and Mm -hmm. didn't just click and generate things that way. Um, Like we have substantial data that shows that we would be successful. And with your market share and with what you have and good promotion, we could end up doing even better. And with honor club, like who is going to be impressed with 12,000 subscribers when you have new Japan pro wrestling fluttering over a hundred thousand, when you have the peacock, like the, the WWE network was what, upwards of almost 2 million by the time it ended up merging over with Peacock. Like we're
0: 12,000 fucking nothing.
2: Yeah. It's very little. Um, you know, I kind of, it does make me wonder like, what does IWTV get or fight plus, you know, these other smaller services. Um, I doubt that any of them are in five digits. Um, it'd be shocking if they were in the top half of four digits. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I think that, I think there's some things that you could point at, like, I don't know that it's really been promoted that big um, on AW TV, which would help it. Um, at the same time, I don't know if, uh, like, hey, come watch a main event of Athena versus Willow Nightingale is going to be a big bit, you know, mover there, but. I don't know, man. It's it's a very interesting thing. Uh, I'm interested to see where Ring of Honor is six months from now, and uh, if it has grown any at all because it's in a really tough position. I think. Yeah, it's.
1: I want to. I, I, it's hard for me to bury Tony Khan with situations like this because he's shown to be really, really good at having a structured business plan, sticking to it, and even within that structured business plan, being able to adapt on the fly, but the decision to only have it on honor club as a paid service off the bat to me feels like a mistake. And I want, would want to know more about what the plan is. And I think when he has that ring of honor conference call, um, I'm going to try and get access to, and if I can, when I, I'm going to straight up ask and be like, Hey, you know, you mentioned honor club only has 12,000 subscribers um, considering it's, it's your, first real imprint of television for this company. You know, Why didn't you decide to at least put the first batch of tapings on YouTube to um, to expose everybody to it to try and use that as a selling point rather than just three pay-per-views? Because it feels like that's, that's a much, much better business model than just putting it behind a paywall when nobody really knows what to expect. Um, and oddly enough, the best way to get people to subscribe to your content is to give it away for free. Well, you know, you say say that,
2: you say that, but they actually have put their past two, these first two shows up on YouTube for free. Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah. There's been no promotion. Yeah. I I didn't know that until I just, I had heard about the first one. I should clarify, but I just went and uh, pulled it up. uh, And yeah, they're both up there. Uh, I did not realize the second one was up there at all. Granted, I am dealing with like coming off power outages and being out of touch and catching up on work, but blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, there it is. Yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how
1: they continue to um, talk about these things. All right, last bit of news, and then we're going to get into a very interesting dynamite. Jake Roberts is back with his former wife, Cheryl, and you may remember her because she was a part of the Rick Rude storyline way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, good for Jake Roberts. He seems to really have everything in his life on track and considering all the demons that he's had to battle that are public. Um, it's it's nice to see him in a really good place as far as what our public perception is. That's I just love that.
2: Yeah, it's really cool stuff, and uh, good for them. I do hope that they're both doing better and uh, doing well. Yeah, it's um,
1: it's interesting. I'm I'm very excited to see what else is coming for Jake Rabbit. I kind of miss him on AEW television. He was fun. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a different element, but I can also see, you know, the argument, you don't really need him. Um, just bring back the murder Hawk. Damn it. I am sick of not seeing, was him he not
2: 20. with, uh, Archer on rampage two weeks ago now? I'll yeah, be honest. I, that, that was the one I missed. Oh, okay. I, I thought he was, that one. um, granted. I, you know, I could probably just look at my notes, but yeah, I thought he came out with them. Um, Yeah, yeah, he came out with them. So, uh, yeah, I guess that he's going to, at least for now, continue to be part of the act. Yeah, it's
1: it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, let's get into the show, uh, for Fred, because it was an interesting one, and I don't say that in a bad way. Um, the in-ring was good. Um, it was all right. Advanced, yeah, it was pretty good. They, they advanced multiple storylines. They started new ones, and I just want to point out, I mentioned it a while ago. I initially thought it was going to be Dark Order versus JS for Blood and Guts. It's going to be Dark Order, Blackpool Combat Club, and Blood and Guts. Um, that's, to me, like, that's the only way, like, oh, Adam Page says, I'm done. Well, then Moxley just beats the living shit out of his friends and coaxes him back in. Um, I, this, to me, is the Blood and Guts match. Um, do you have an opinion on that?
2: I don't think it's going to be Blood and Guts. Um First of all, do we know for sure that we're going to have a blood and guts this year necessarily? Like it's not like necessarily like WWE where you have like every year the you know the gimmick matches on the schedule.
1: Okay, so I'm projecting it because they scheduled 2020 to have a blood and guts in in March. And -hmm. then they had a blood and guts end of May, early June in 2021, and a blood and guts end of May, early June in 2022. Um I think I understand where you're coming from with the whole WWE thing, but with WWE, they have an entire pay-per-view surrounding a gimmick. Like Mm -hmm. one of my favorites was TNA did lockdown. Every match is in a steel cage. I thought that was fun. It was uh, like, look, is it a little ludicrous to have like seven straight steel cage matches? Sure. But it was fun. It was different. It was unique. And the six sides of steel was so such a different style cage match than you would see in other promotions because of the six-sided ring, it was fun for a couple years, and then it got really long in the tooth, especially once they introduced Lethal Lockdown. But I, it's one match. You're just doing one blood and guts match a year, and I think they've done a really good job building the, the three feuds that were supposed to be in blood and guts, and I, I would project it's still going to happen. Like other otherwise, why in the world would Dark Order and Blackpool Combat Club still be feuding? In like from your perspective, what logical reasoning would that be? Other than like John Moxley's just pissed at Adam Page that he had to tap out and just wants to kill his buddies.
2: That's kind of what I thought it was. To be honest, uh, I don't think Dark Order outside of Page, obviously who is a main eventer, uh, I don't think Dark Order is hot enough to like. Granted, you can build them up and all that, but right now they just don't do not feel hot enough to be part of a blood and guts type match as a major part of it. Um it very much comes across like uh like when they came out when uh, Reynolds and Silver came out, like they the reaction to them was very subdued, especially to where it was like a year and a half now or two years ago. Um so yeah, um it just doesn't strike true to, true to me that like that's going to be the booking. I could be wrong, uh, and I definitely see how like you know the numbers add up. You, you could definitely get the numbers out of it, but yeah, um, it's funny you bring up lockdown because I actually am trying to get through the uh, "You've Got to Be Kidding Me" podcast from I don't think the new one, but the one before where they talk about the first lockdown.
1: Oh, the, the main event of that show is one of my favorite matches of all time, Abyss and AJ Styles, where yeah. Abyss is coming into the ring and Styles just does that awesome uh tope and oh, yeah. they just beat the shit out of each other for 20 minutes. Oh, I love that match.
2: Well, apparently you have forgotten that the semi main event was the lethal lockdown match in it its debut.
1: They had they debuted that
2: in yes, four. They, I thought they, de- they no, no, that 05. in the six. Oh, 05 was the first one, um, oh. and it had a where where it was Team Nash, but no Kevin Nash because he had a staff infection, and uh, it was uh, B G James filling in for him along with DDP and Sean Waltman opposite Jeff Jarrett, Monty Brown, and the Outlaw. God, I
1: will forever be pissed at at uh, TNA for ruining Monty Brown. They I had a
2: star. Oh God, I wasn't even really like actively following wrestling at that point in time. Like I, I was reading news about it basically on a regular basis, um, but I wasn't watching it and like listening back to them talk about like the Monty Brown heel turn and, you know, it coming after the failed title challenge. It's so maddening to like hear them just blow this <laughs> in hindsight 18 years later, uh, but we've gotten pretty far afield and you may have to talk about more Vikings getting cut or something. So let's get to the show
1: yeah um, I could I love you gotta be kidding me um because it's a great there's, show. there's literally nobody on this planet that knows more about any singular subject than Garrett Kidney knows about total nonstop action wrestling. and it is um, it, it blows my mind how brilliant he is with that promotion. it's it's truly special stuff in every positive way. And Liam's good too. He loves malice and malice rocks. Um, let's get to the show though. um, we opened up and I thought this was a very interesting match. Freshly squeezed orange Cassidy um, with comes out with best friends and Danhausen, but they go to the back versus Jay Lethal and the refs kick Sanjay, Dutt, Jeff Jarrett, and Satnam Singh to the back. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> this was uh, very good. Um, yeah, I, I
2: thought this was a rather enjoyable match. Uh, worked a different style than you would typically see, I think, from the, you know these guys.
1: Yeah, um, I thought this was really good. Like Jay Lethal is boring. Um, like honestly, he is.
2: I was going to try to be nicer and say consummate,
1: but um, well, he's really technically sound. I think his move set rocks. Um, like like the lethal combination is just such a great move, yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't get any um any love necessarily um but i think it's just great um and dude needs to stop doing the lethal injection um because he's gotta be 40 and like a back handspring like dude you're getting older man like preserve your body a little bit like the, he doesn't I, I seem just, to have any
2: issues doing it at all, though. That's the crazy thing. You know
1: what? Good for him. But I, I just I worry about like a long term health and how that could impact him. But I'm also not a doctor. Um, but what's most important is at the end of the match, um, Jay Lethal had been working on Orange Cassidy's knee all match. Orange Cassidy gets the win. Jeff Jarrett comes out, beats him up, and hits the guitar on the injured knee. Just great stuff. First time I'd ever seen Jeff Jarrett hit a body part with his guitar, yeah. which I thought was really, really smart. And they announced that this is going to be the last defense of the all landing title. And they will crown the new all international or sorry, the international title um, on the March 15th episode of dynamite in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, um, which looks to be a tremendous show. Obviously two of the arguably the top 15 wrestlers of all time, Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega, and then if you ask him, also Don Callis, um, are from Winnipeg. And that's that's going to be a rocking atmosphere. Um, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, what did you think about the name change?
2: I thought – I mean, it doesn't really make much of a difference to me. I think it's kind of the same deal. I know we, I joked around a little bit about the All-Atlantic, like, encompassing – or featuring flags on its belt design that uh, did not include – they, I'm sorry, included companies that did not border the Atlantic Ocean—an uh, extremely nerdy thing to complain about. But it's also a little funny. Uh, International is fine. Um, I don't have any particular strong takes on it. It's just like, all right, cool, we're here. Um, I I think it's funny to see people like have earnest takes about it. Like it just doesn't strike me as something that matters at all. Um, I did think it was extremely. Goofy to try to tie that into Shazam. Um, that was a little silly, but you know, again, if, like if that's the worst you got, then you're doing all right, I reckon. You know,
1: yeah, it's. I I think they probably should have just done that initially because when you call it the All Atlantic Championship and you have a Japanese flag on it, they're not exactly in the Atlantic, right? Um, but so I think this name change is prop is should have been done from the beginning, but. Is what it is. Um, This I thought was really good, Um, and not necessarily the interview itself, but the reason behind it. Um, Renee Paquette's backstage with Powerhouse Hobbs, and Wardlow's car was broken into; his gear was stolen, as was the TNT title. And Powerhouse Hobbs ends up giving uh, doing a promo about that. And I thought intertwining that into – because everything is AEW canon, intertwining that into this story, which already has some bad blood, which um, Wardlow wants to beat the crap out of Hobbs, and Hobbs really wants that TNT title. I thought this was a really nice touch.
2: Yeah, I thought it was a cool promo and uh, pretty enjoyable. Um, Good work by Hobbs here, I thought. This show had a lot of, like, shorter promos that were pretty – Good and I thought it did well in general.
3: What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the flagship podcast here on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network, and I just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network. It's Eufy, and let me tell you a little bit about their newest product, the Eufy Video Smart E three thirty. This isn't your everyday smart lock. This is a smart lock, a two K camera uffiofficial.com slash video lock. And we thank them for sponsoring the voice wrestling podcast network.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, But we'll get more to that as that matches the main event. Um, Absolute Ricky Starks comes out to the ring, talks about us having a hell of a week and how he took out the JAS and people are like, Oh, what's next for you? Then all of a sudden we get the generic bullet club music. And you get the ho, 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 ho. And then in comes the guitar riffs. And you think, oh, my gosh, is this Jay White? Everybody yeah, I, I think it everybody thought reaction. it was Jay White. Yeah. Nope. Rock hard! Juice Robinson um, comes in and gives the left hand of God. I don't know if what he calls that now that he's with Bullet Club. I think it's something different. Um, but he just knocks him out, stands over him. And uh, he ends up giving a, a promo backstage I can't remember if it was later in the show or on social media. I think it was on um, social
2: because I don't have it in my notes.
1: Yeah, and he he kind of gave a vague promo, and it sounds like we're going to hear more from him next week, but he says Bullet Club for life, which obviously everybody knows is Bullet Club for life unless they kick you out. Um, and I, I'm i very intrigued to see where this goes, and I think this, this could be a really fun way to get juice more on television um, because he is all elite. And this could also be the beginning of something for Forbidden Door because Juice did help Kenta win the NJPW strong title at Battle in the Valley, the U.S. New Japan show. So this is all very interesting.
2: Yeah, uh, I guess, you know, I think we have a lot to uh, kind of see what happens, see how much Bullet Club involvement there is. And, of course, you have the the whole deal with Jay White's contract status kind of hanging over us. Um, it's possible to say right now where that is headed just because, you know, no one's really saying anything. Um, but you know, if this plays into it, that could, you know, be cool. And if not, you know, I, I think it'll be just fine.
1: Yeah. The, um, I'm going to really pay attention to this cause I'm very intrigued. Um, let's continue on. Um, Next, we had Tony Schiavone interviewing Wardlow backstage to really emphasize what's going on here. Um, Wardlow, I've dealt with a great deal of loss lately. Fortunately, some buddies of mine let me borrow some clothes. So since I'm dressed for the occasion, how about we do a false count anywhere anything goes match, Hobbs? I am the TNT champion. No man on earth is going to take that away from me. And he also said before he kind of monologued a little bit that first I just want to beat you and teach you a lesson. Now I want to kick your ass. And I was really excited for this main event because I am a big, big powerhouse Hobbs guy. And I thought this could have been really, really good. And we'll get to that here coming up.
2: Yeah. I thought this was another nice little promo. Um, again, I think that they the, considering the limited time period they had for the storyline of Hobbs and Wardle, and I don't know that they're done with it. We'll see. Um, could go away again for a little bit. Uh, but I thought they did pretty well with it.
1: Yeah. Um, next, we had Ruby Soho coming out, and she was being interviewed by Renee Paquette. Um, listen, I, I will give AEW credit. Actually,
2: oh, this was before. Never mind. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Never they, mind.
1: They are getting their money's worth out of Renee Paquette. She is not doing a little bit for this company. She's Gosh. doing a lot of on-screen time, but she's also really good. Um, so, whatever they're paying her, they're, they're getting their money's worth. Um, and... Ruby Soho, I thought gave a really good rendition of that "You People" promo mm-hmm. we always hear in WWE. Like, was it a "You People" promo? Yeah, but it was a good one. Um, and there's a lot of truth intertwined there. It wasn't a bunch of um, convoluted bullshit. She was just straight up, and I thought this was really well done.
2: Yeah, I thought this worked pretty well. Uh, I I wasn't gaga over it or anything, but I thought it it was a solid uh, solid example of this type of promo um and uh it worked pretty well uh however i thought the match was pretty dire uh even when you consider like oh well it's a uh you know you could you point at it as a uh as mostly an extended squash but it was i thought it was rough
1: yeah um look sky blue's got a good look she's a plucky baby face she's not there yet she needs time and I really think she might be best served just being shot down to ROH and like maybe she needs like a couple years there and just grind and grind and grind. Um, She's young. She's 23 years old. I thought she was 19. Um, But like, she's so young. There's time. It like, it takes a while for you to get used to the timing, the rhythm, um, being safe and being able to put together constructive matches that are cohesive. Like she's not there yet, but you can tell she has talent.
2: Yeah. But I thought tonight she looked particularly rough for some reason. Like it just did not work. Uh, Her offense, I thought in particular looked pretty bad when she was uh, taking over an offense against uh, Ruby. Yeah. uh,
1: And I thought Ruby was fine. Um,
2: yeah, she, she uh, wasn't her best performance. Though I talk a lot, a lot of that up to, to Sky. Um, but yeah, she, I think she's been doing well recently. Um, that Ruby has, and uh, this was fine.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, what I found interesting is at the end of the match, um, Willow comes out as they're about to spray paint um, Sky Blue. And she gets in Ruby's face because obviously they had that really weird pairing together Mm -hmm. um, that kind of worked. They won the street fight against uh, TJ. And what I thought was a really nice touch is Saraya and Tony storm casually just sneak out of the ring and just kind of like, all right, we're going to let Ruby do her business and, you know, deal with Willow, however she needs to No. They slowly walk away and then they sneak up behind her and knock her out and then they end up spray painting her too. I thought that was a really, really nice touch um, and a good way to continue to gain the right kind of heat.
2: Yeah, I agree. I thought this worked out pretty well.
1: Yeah. All right, let's continue moving on because the Vikings are destroying my freaking day. (laughs) Um, Renee Paquette was backstage with a, quote, battered Hangman Adam Page. Um, Page is like, Physically, I've been better. He had a hell of a shiner. Oh, yes, he did. But in my mind, my heart, my soul, all is well. Sunday, I let that heart blacken, but let that serve as a warning. I've given you a lot of flack for these interviews, but I owe you apologies. I owe you an apology, Renee. As for Mox, I'm finished. That is going to be interesting later on in the show, and we will get to that here in a little bit. FTR uh, comes out with Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler to be interviewed by Tony Schiavone. Look, they get hyped up babyface promo. And they shit on the guns, and they also put them over at the same time, and we're gonna get a few here.
2: Yeah, I thought this was set up well, uh, and it was a good return promo, and I liked this well. Uh, I thought it uh, thought it was good work by FTR. Uh, they really let let um, hair do the talking, Cash Wheeler, and uh, I thought he did a great job for the you know his part of the promo in particular.
1: Yeah. Um. All right, let's continue on. Renee Paquette is backstage with TBS champion Jade Cargill um, talking specifically about being undefeated. And she's like, I'm undefeated, 53-0, seeing as how we're going to Canada next week. Why don't we bring out the best opponent that Canada has? And rumors are that a certain Impact wrestler is has her contract expire. How do you feel about Jade Cargill versus Taya Valkyrie?
2: Mm, that, is, uh, that is a match. That could happen on the television. Look, um, I've never really been much of a fan of Taya. I've never thought she's been particularly good. Uh, She basically seems to me like a two-star level worker, like somewhere around that Madison Rain level. And uh, I don't know. I think I'd go with the strategy of bringing good wrestlers um, if I was Tony Khan, but... You know, I guess instead you could bring in Taya.
1: Yeah, um, I'm going to hold out hope it's not Taya because that's that's just, uh, like, some people trying to, like, project. Um, but, yeah, if it was Taya, it'd be rough because she's bad. Um, let's continue on. Trios match. Air Fox in top flight with Darius Martin. Versus the Jericho appreciation societies, the Ocho Chris Jericho. And I believe they refer to him as his sons on TV, Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara. I know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that resonated with me when I heard it. Um, this was a, a overall pretty good match. Um, yeah, it didn't last super long, but um, they got some fun stuff in. Um, I like how uh, Darius has kind of become the power element of top flight. Um, really utilizing a lot of like suplexes, less aerial stuff, and let Dante just be the the stupid eye flyer. I think they're really finding a groove, and I hope that they can get a, a tag team title run here within the next year or so.
2: Yeah, I think they're a very good team. And I, I do, I actually would almost prefer to see them get a uh, Trios title run with uh, AR Fox because I think he's doing great work too.
1: Yeah, um, Air Fox, uh, great addition. That's the kind of veteran you want to bring in Um, that's just going to come in and be, be stalwart and be able to put together good, cohesive matches and a guy you can beat like a drum because Air Fox is just going to go out there and entertain you. He's going to give you three and a half to four and a quarter star matches every time, and it's going to be fun, and nobody really cares if he loses, kind of the same way when Bobby Fish came into the company. You can beat him like a drum because you really don't have anything for him. He's just going to give you good in-ring work and i think this is kind of the same thing and i like how tony khan is using some of these guys
2: yeah um i think that uh i think ar has been a great addition um to the kind of mid-card area where he is right now and uh, i think it's worked out great for aw
1: it has worked out great this is where things got interesting um angelo parker matt menard um Talking about um, the greatest Trios victory in AEW history. And Matt Menard, he, he talks about 52 weeks, one year of the Jericho Appreciation Society. Um, and um, Garcia was like, oh, we should be the number one contenders. And they uh, Jericho's yells, like, so, like we said, redeeming ourselves the number of contenders for the AEW Trios Championship. So, House of Black, turn off the lights and get in the ring. Well, they get. The elite, and they get some nice words back and forth. Um, and I thought this was really good from Omega. Oh, hi, Chris. We've stayed out of your business, and you've stayed out of our business. And I'd like to think that came from a place of respect. And <laughs> then Don Callis being the dick that he is, yes, yeah, just um, makes everything awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me handle this, Chris. Everyone knows the elite established the AW World Trees Championships. Um, I, I agree with those that. Uh, that say you are one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. Unfortunately, Chris, you're the second best wrestler from Winnipeg. And if I feel like I had a couple of months to train, you'd be number three. Um, and then House of Black comes out next week. If you want these, come get them. So we're going to get eight, a real Triangle Gate style match um, with the um, three trios teams. That could be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I actually thought this segment was uh was great. I liked it a lot. Um I thought that the way they worked in the lights going off and the surprises with it um to set up the, you know, the match with the Bucks and J- JAS and the House of Black. I thought that was all done really well. And uh I, you know, I enjoyed the segment and uh I'm looking forward to next week. I think that has tremendous uh potential as a match.
1: Yeah, um I'm really excited. I kind of wish it was just the elite versus uh the JAS, but I could see this becoming a longer term feud. Um Omega and Jericho really haven't touched in a couple of years. And I think this, this could be a lot of fun. Um and especially because they haven't touched in a couple of years, like it's fresh. Yeah, it's oh yeah. And this is why, like, hey, you can go back around to feuds that you've already done before because it's been long enough. Um, and I'm very excited. Tony Khan. Um, and, they're also doing I
2: mean, it's really important to note that they're doing it in a very different way uh, by having them do it as a trios match rather than just outright doing a return of, uh, well, I guess it's time for Jericho Omega again, uh, which I think some companies would just kind of uncreatively go to that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I could think of like six that would do that. Um, what I found interesting here is this is where they have, um, they announced that, that it was the international championship, not the All-Atlantic championship anymore. This is the longest I've ever heard Tony Khan speak on television before. And I found I, I found that one very interesting that he didn't have somebody else do it. It was him talking mm-hmm. on a microphone in front of a camera. Not something you see from him very often.
2: Yeah. And I kind of imagine that it's in part a tie-in with Turner and he really thinks that, uh, is very important to AEW. Uh, obviously he's right. I mean, it is tremendously important to them. Uh, but I imagine that that's a pretty big part of why they, uh, they handled it like this, that they, um, really featured, uh, you know, the movie tie-in, uh, as part of the announcement and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a cool little promo. Um, And for all all the uh, snowman jokes that people make, uh, including those employed by WB, he came off pretty normal here, I thought. Yeah. Um, Let's
1: continue forward. I want to talk about this. Footage was played of a very emotional American Dragon, Brian Danielson. Uh, This was a great MJF. This was great. He said he was ashamed that he tapped out to AW world champ, MJF, and maybe it was time for Danielson to go home. This could be a lot of different things. This could just be he needs a, a little bit of a break. I th- personally think it's not a retirement, even though I kind of thought that maybe initially. Um, but what I really think is it's he's going to reset and Danielson's coming back for the G1. I think Tony is going to let him do the G1 because it's something he's always wanted to do. And when he wanted to talk about resigning WWE, he's like, I want to go wrestle in Mexico, I want to go wrestle in Japan. I want to do this world traveler stuff, and mm-hmm. I think because of the injuries last summer, and Danielson being one of those injuries, he didn't get to compete in the G One. But we know that they wanted him,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I think they they could be planning on giving him a little bit of a break from AEW television, having him do the G One, bring him back um, right before or after All Out, and you can just cycle guys in. You have guys Miro hasn't seen, been on television for months um Lance Archer has barely been on television you can cycle guys back Christian is now back Adam Cole is going to be back in the ring in a few weeks like I that's to me what the plan is what do you think
2: I think it's a clear case of him you know leaving the territory for a little bit just taking a break uh and maybe he will come back as that I another thought I had was um you know there's a possibility I think with a BCC and we'll get to that here next uh, the BCC has really kind of changed since uh, William Regal's left the company, uh, and they've become a really far more heel group. And I think every week they're featuring that more and more. Um, and I think that, you know, as we progressively see BCC become more of a heel group, it seems like uh, De- Brian Danielson's involvement has decreased progressively at that same time. And I think that sets up as a possibility the um, him coming in. And uh, going against the BCC, you know, possibly taking it as a affront to what his mentor, um, William Regal, tried to set up before he left. uh, And taking offense to, you know, their behavior and how they are choosing to do things by taking a bunch of cheap shots now. And uh, I think that could work really well if they choose to go that route. Yeah, it's...
1: It'll be interesting to see what happens as far as Danielson's concerned long-term. Um, I'm very intrigued, intrigued to see what's next, um, but this is something i wanted to talk about all episode. The Dark Orders, Alex Reynolds and John Silver. I uh, thought this was a fascinating segment. Me too. Um, versus the Blackpool Combat Clubs, Claudio Castagnoli and John Moxley with Weider Eula at Utah as their second. I thought, one, this was a fun match, but two... It wasn't so much about the match. It right. was about um, the Dark Order um, gets Reynolds in the rear naked choke, forced him to tap out, and then after the match, he gets Reynolds back in the Bulldog choke. Silver tries to um, break it up, but intercepted by Claudio Castagnoli. Evil Uno ran to the wing, and Yuda Chop blocks him, and we get Hangman Adam Page, um, looks at Moxley, basically tell him, like, hey, what the hell are you doing here? He gets attacked by Claudio and um they just beat everybody up and
2: mm-hmm. did a big pull this, part.
1: This is why I think it's the blood and guts match.
2: Yeah, and I mean for sure it could definitely possibly that that's a definite possibility on the table. Um I think what's kind of interesting with how this went is specifically that um you know that he Page stormed right past Moxley, and they made a big deal out of that on commentary, and Mox just stood there. Uh, Paige was checking on I, Reynolds, I think it was. Um, Cesaro went up to, like, push him, and Paige just popped him in the mouth real quick, hit him with, big time with a fist. And Cesaro, I'm sorry, Claudio, <laughs> damn, uh, did a big sell there. And then it led to, I think, um, you know, it led to the beatdown by BCC. And I think that we have progressively been seeing these guys become more and more heel like over the past few weeks. I think a big point was that tag match that Claudio and Yuta, or actually the match singles match Yuta had a week or two ago on Dynamite where Claudio came out and was encouraging him to be basically a real jerk. And uh, I don't know. I think I I like how this is progressing. And um, I would like to see a lot more of this. I don't know where the uh dark order will fit in long term exactly because i think there's a lot to say about that um specifically how much I i don't think you can overstate how much momentum they've lost since like the pandemic basically when they really got themselves over on bte and were well loved for uh their goofy segments and over the past year feels like they've just really lost momentum terribly uh, but now they're getting involved again in a major storyline, and uh, I guess we'll see where this goes. Um, and part of that part of their, that loss of momentum was self-inflicted, because I remember that, like, John Silver was getting a little bit of a push for a short time, and they had him go out to cut a promo, and it was just extremely cringe. <laughs> um, just a, a real failure. This was, like, six months ago now or something. And, uh, and he kind of disappeared from TV after that um, for quite a while. Uh, I don't know. I, I think this could be really interesting to see just where their careers are headed in the company. Um, I like their work. I enjoy them on BTE when I watch it, but I also think a lot of what they do on BTE does not convert over to, like, AW Dynamite or Rampage. Uh, but, yeah, I mean... We'll see what the direction is and who gets involved.
1: I think this ends up being blood and guts, but I, I also think that there's so much ambiguity with the situation that we genuinely don't know what's going to happen. And oh, yeah, there's, it,
2: a, there's a lot of room left to play with before we get to any kind yeah. of resolution.
1: Yeah, my favorite word right now is ambiguity, so expect to hear that a lot over <laughs> the next few weeks. Um, let's continue on. Um, backstage with the acclaimed is Renee Paquette and, um, they get interviewed by Matt Menard and Angela Parker offering them, um, to, uh, basically join the Jericho appreciation society. And, and the, Anthony Bowen's like no chance. And Castor's like, we're on TV more than you.
2: Yeah. Um, they walk that away nice, daddy nice line. Um, yeah, I enjoyed this and, uh, I think that this could be very entertaining. Uh, I'm hopeful that Menard's back to ring shape because he wasn't for a while, uh, especially with his arm. Uh, And I guess we'll see. I'm not particularly enthused about what we have seen from him over the past um, past month or so where the, the appearances of the team has been pretty limited in what they've done and what he has done specifically.
1: Yeah. Um, This is where we get to the main event. Fred. Oh, we you're not going to
2: mention. Oh, did we already talk about Jade? Did I forget about that? Like the thing. With yeah, we, we we talked about Jade. Jade. Yeah, we um, did because we buried. Um, I'm sorry. We I forgot about burying Taya. Uh, Taya is still bad. Uh, yeah, um, just a passing shot there for no good reason.
1: Yeah, um, the main event. Um, really good until the end, and I'm going to bury the living shit out of this. Um Wardlow versus Powerhouse Hobbs, where Powerhouse Hobbs beats Wardlow with a 10 count to win the title. Now, they announced this match um, as um, false count anywhere anything goes. um mm-hmm. Pinfall or giving up. They did not announce a 10 count when they... They uh, announced the rules of this match. Uh, and Powerhouse Hobbs won on a fucking 10 count.
2: Yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> this didn't bother me too much. I mean, because it was treated as more of a, a knockout situation than a uh, than a uh, like WWE okay. style death match. They did, or Texas that was the other match. thing.
1: They did say knockout, but Wardlow was moving. It wasn't like he was dead on arrival. Like if you wanted to do the knockout thing, I get that. That makes total sense. They botched it. And any momentum that they could have given powerhouse Hobbs, which I believe is going to be a long run. They really kind of undercut him here. And it was very disappointing.
2: Yeah. I don't think the Sud did him particularly a lot of favors. Um, unfortunately I think the biggest issue being that he, uh, I mean, the thing I took real issue with was that after the match, you've got um, got him selling like the entire time while they're doing the ten count, while QT Marshall is uh, doing a lot of stuff to get attention, and I thought that really overshadowed, uh, you know, Hobbs getting his first title. I thought that was not well, you know, done um, within, you know, accomplishing the goal of making Hobbs a big star.
1: Yeah, um and kind of what we're talking about is the end of the match. Um QT Marshall came out and beat up um uh Wardlow with a chair and then It Pop took a low and, blow
2: first, so there's that yeah. at
1: least. It ended up spine bustering him through uh this like table gimmick that they had set up. It, like yeah, like those old WWE shows where they power bomb him off the stage through something. It was one of those deals. Yeah. Um, and they I like that it's storyline-based where Marshall said that, hey, I got your back anytime you need, because he's kind of doing that Italian mobster gimmick where, yeah. you know, you do me a favor, I do you a favor. And, okay, cohesion. I like that, but I thought that they could have at least made Hobbs look stronger, and I really thought they failed to do that here.
2: Yeah, I don't think they particularly did him any favors uh, with this part of it, but, you know, I I also don't think it was, like, a huge disaster at the same time. I just think it was, like, ah, we kind of didn't pull that one off perfectly, (laughs) but that's just my take on it. I can definitely see, like, harsher takes, and I can't really disagree with them. Um, I think, you know, what you got was imperfect.
1: Yeah, it's it's just kind of one of those things. Um, I like that we're going to get Hobbs as the uh, TNT champion. I think that's going to be fun. We've seen the book of Hobbs for however long. And I think that they we know because we've heard that they want to push Hobbs really hard because they really like him. Hobbs is also like 33 years old or something. He mm-hmm. is not a young man. Um, even though he's r- really new to the national scene, He's not young, so you kind of have to shoot while the iron's hot. And obviously, it's not like you have to do it literally now or never. Oh yeah, he's he's got
2: plenty of legs left, um, really. But at the same time, like you don't want to wait forever either. You know, you should push him at some point. He's been fairly hot for a bit, and uh, you should take advantage of that. So, yeah, a hundred percent.
1: That's our show today. Um, Yeah. That's it, uh that's it. Fred, I, I made through the whole show without the Vikings releasing another player. I think this uh is a cause for celebration.
2: It is. Um, <laughs> any show with you is a cause of celebration, Tyler. Oh, you're so sweet. Oh. Uh, um yeah, but yeah, I like the show overall. I think it's setting up some really cool stuff going forward. Um, I think next week's show should be really cool. Uh we've got the you know, the uh JS elite house of black match, which has potential to be like one of the best matches of the year, or at least one of the best T V matches. And Mox and Claudio and Yuta against uh Evil Uno, Adam Page, and the returning Stu Grayson, which is cool as hell. Mm-hmm. Um and the MGF rebar uh re space, bar mitzah, uh Mitzvah, I could talk. Um, could be a really good segment. And Jade Cargill will have a match which will happen. So
1: did you also see the Hematoma that he had
2: on oh eye? Oh my God, his eye looks oh. awful, man. <laughs> oh geez, yeah. uh, not a good time. Uh, Everyone, a bunch of people came out of that show looking like shit, um, which is not a surprise given how some of those matches went. But
1: yeah, yeah. Um, but we're setting up to be uh, in a good spot, and I think next week's going to be a very good in-ring dynamite that continues to advance some of these storylines. Um, unfortunately, I likely will not be able to record next week because I am in Arizona for my sister-in-law's wedding. So it's likely going to be a Fred uh, show next. Priorities.
2: Week. I mean, come on now. Yeah. A um, wedding cool. over over all of this. Just look at look at all this, Tyler. Yeah. Um. Listen. <laughs> Yo, listen.
1: My wife's in the house. Huh? I'm not going to say anything. But you you can find me on Twitter at the real Forno and all my Vikings content at the Vikings Wire. You can follow Fred on Twitter at Flagrant wrestling with an R, not a W. You can find the show on Twitter at Good Bad hungry. If you want to ask us a question, you can at, do so uh, through our Gmail account at hungypod at gmail.com or the Voice of Wrestling Discord, where we have our own channel, The Good, The Bad, and The Um, And anytime we get asked a question, we will answer it live on air and we will continue to communicate with you guys as we greatly appreciate you listening to our show. In the meantime, I'm Tyler. This is Fred. Have yourself a great day.
2: Take care, everyone.